We are in Mark chapter 9. We're going to look in the second hour this morning at chapters 9 and 10. This morning we're going to take a story out of Mark 9 and look at the same story in Matthew chapter 18. It says a little more. It adds a little more color to the picture. We know the Holy Spirit wrote them all. Mark is shorter, quicker, and more concise. And a couple things in this passage not mentioned in Mark. We see in Matthew the version of the Holy Spirit through Matthew. And it is the who will be greatest. Who will be greatest. And both of these hours this morning, both hours, we're going to talk about, and I don't want to get very far from, the question of discipleship. What does it mean? What is the Lord's characteristic given of a disciple? A lot of human ideas. A lot of ideas of what it means to be a disciple. The Lord was very clear on what discipleship is. It seems to be, for some reason, harsh to the church because it's not taught very much. But he says, unless you become like a little child, unless you be converted and become like a little child. And so many civilizations through history and ours is hard on children. Our congregate, our uh, society today, hard on children. The things that we're putting them through, if they, if they actually get to live, the things that we're given, and the things we're calling education today. And uh, I watch the news. Don't do it very often. Watch the news this weekend, and they said if you have a conservative mind, if you have a conservative lifestyle attitude, your children need to be taken away and reprogrammed, and then you need the same thing. <clears throat> Interesting, isn't it? That's what the world has come to. Let's look at Matthew 18 and 1. It says, At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, where would that question come from? Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them. And he said, Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whoso therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoso shall receive one such little child in my name, receiveth me. But, listen carefully, Whosoever shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe unto the world because of offenses. For it must needs be that offenses come, but woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. Wherefore, if thy hand or thy foot offend thee, cut them off, and cast them from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life, halt, or maimed, rather than having two hands and two feet and be cast into everlasting fire. 
and if thy eye offend thee, pluck it out, and cast it from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes be cast into hell fire. Take heed that you despise... Be, listen very carefully to that sentence. Take heed that you despise not one of these little ones. For I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. <coughs> Father, we thank you this morning for this time asking and believing that you'll be here, that you'll be here in the person of the Holy Spirit come and give us guidance and understanding and illumination of the Word. Teach us, help us to understand, and then give us that strength and that desire to live it out. Father, help us to be good soldiers of the cross as we live in this crazy dark world. So much evil around us, so much darkness in our days, but Father, you're the light. Help us to keep our eyes on you. Help us to have a desire, each one, each one in this fellowship, to study your word and believe it, because this is the truth. You are the truth. And so, Lord, we just thank you for being here. Give us peace, push out the cares of this life and world in this hour. Give us concentration to the Word and help us to understand now. Thank you for all that are here and listening. Thank you for who will hear this message this morning. And help us to believe it and live by it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. And so here we are. And we're looking again. If any man will be my disciple, Jesus said. If any man will be my disciple, let him... He said it in Mark, if any man will come after me. But he says in other places, if any man will, if you have the will or will to be, if you desire to be my disciple, if that's your will, let him deny himself, take up his cross, follow me. Very simple instructions. Really difficult in this world, in this flesh, to pull off. And I say that because... It's difficult in the beginning because learning to deny self is a harsh lesson, but it's a never-ending lesson. Every day, every day we have to get up with the attitude, Lord, here am I. What would you have me to do? Now, I know you think I'm beating on this, and I am. I'm going to beat on it pretty hard. To me, and I say that's personal, personal opinion. In the next hour, I'm going to give you some of my opinions. I'm going to tell you which ones they are. I'm going to start with my opinion. My opinion is, if you're not going to be here, my opinion is all of Mark 9 and 10 are different examples of what it means to deny self or not deny self. And it shows very clearly what it means to become a disciple or refuse the call. And I think that's interesting. I think it's interesting that Jesus gives a tremendous statement like that. If you will be my disciple, if you'll come after me, if any man will come after me, let him. And he gives the formula. And I say that. I believe, that, I believe the Bible is a book of mathematics, and I believe it is a book of formulas. Add two, add two, 
Don't do, take away from, don't minus this and add that, plus, plus and minus signs all the way through the Bible. The do's and the don'ts. If you would be blessed, if you would be rewarded, if you would, then do these things. But if you don't want to be blessed, and I don't mind and I don't even care, honestly, if you want to be blessed or not, that's between you and the Holy Spirit and your flesh and this and this ever darkening world. But don't come to me and cry because you're not blessed and blame it on me or the church or the Bible or the Christ. That is, that is just weakness 101 about third semester. Why am I not blessed? Open your Bible and look at the, the conditional promises. Mm-hmm. I want to live my life how I want to live my life. Are you getting tired of hearing this song? Quit coming to me all the time and telling me this stuff. And quit getting mad at me when I point it out. You want to know where I've, I failed in this life to be blessed? <laughs> when I didn't fulfill the condition of the promise. That's how it works, folks. It doesn't skip me and it doesn't skip anybody else. And Billy Graham had to live with it and so did Charles Spurgeon. And so did uh, the vile people of the world. Charles Manson, take your pick of who you want to look at and see what the promise is unfulfilled or fulfilled come out to be. I think Jesus made us. I think we are created to enjoy this life. I believe that. I don't believe we're supposed to sit around with our lip on the floor and crying all the time and saying how bad things are. I don't believe that for a second. I believe we were created to live a life in the image of our Lord, in the image of our Creator, joy, pure joy. We stop that. We stop that when we believe the deception of Satan or the desires of the flesh and we give in. We stop those things. The joy of this life. I was watching television six months ago or so with my wife and they showed old movies, old black and white movies. I'm telling you, uh, we like those better for some reason, but they're not nasty. But we're watching old black and white movies. We're watching the people and the crowds and the people on the sidewalks and shopping in the, in the crowds in those days. Today, people are all limp. They're all, everybody limps, can't hardly walk, can't hardly breathe. And there's some old people in those movies walking around doing just fine. What happened? In our day, nobody can breathe or walk. And uh, there's a difference. Old people. And uh, what happened to our country? Well, people used to walk where they went. People used to get more exercise, I know. For some reason, the idea in America today is how, how the least I have to do is the greater part of life. I don't understand it. But it's certainly what America promoted. In this passage, the question is a strange one to me. I don't know how you see it. Strange to asking the Lord, who's the greatest in the kingdom? Do you think they missed something? Am I am I alone in thinking? Who would ask that <laughs> to Jesus? Who would ask Jesus who's the greatest in the kingdom? Now it may be it may be asking a whole way different than I'm seeing it. But I've lived now in the world long enough and been in business long enough and in public arena long enough 
who wants to be the greatest are not the best people in town. The people who, who want to know who, who's the greatest are not the best folks. Arrogant, prideful. And this whole message today on both hours is about this. And Jesus' answer was clearly, whoever will humble themselves like a little child. Now, don't you love a child? Don't we love children? Isn't there something in children we look at that gives us hope again? We look at our old crusty selves and, and we can get depressed, but we look at children. There's hope there. They're facing the world different. They face the world different. It's a new world. The newness of it, the wonder of things is amazing to children. It's fun as a grandfather, as an old man now, as an older man. It's fun to look at the children when they see the new things and it's wonder. We're getting tired. We're mundane. It's the same old thing. What's Monday going to be like? You know what it's going to be like. You get up, you're going to go to work, you're going to end up in bed. So you can get up and face Tuesday. Same old drudgery. That's not the way the Lord made us, I'm telling you folks. That is not the way we're made to live. But we decided we're going to live that way when we bought the things we bought. When we decided on how we're going to live. And Jesus says, I want you to live a kingdom life. I'm telling you, this kingdom life, this kingdom man and woman, this kingdom perspective is strange to my pastor friends. I don't know why. I don't know. I don't know why. There are people preaching it. There are people talking about it. But many people have never heard the teaching and the preaching of how to be a kingdom man and kingdom woman. Well, the principles are this. This is the kingdom principle laid out, and you're going to see it probably three or four times a day. Here's the kingdom principle, the kingdom person. The least of all shall be the greatest. If you want to be great, if you want to be recognized by the Father, be the servant of all. The one who serves, God calls great. That, is, that, that goes so against the teaching of our school training in particular from kindergarten through, through college. It's just completely backwards to it. You want to make a name for yourself and make a pile of money and own half the world? Here's how you... And it doesn't work. It doesn't work. How many people have come to me in my years? How many people have come to me and said, looking back, my wife and I were happier when we had very little. The kids were little. We were trying to struggle to keep them clothed and fed. Those were the happy years. You believe it? You believe, do you believe I hear that anyway? I do. And I look back and I remember them with great fondness. I remember the years of putting it together. Well, that's when you felt good. No matter what you had on, it didn't <laughs> pull or grab or hurt. And you get it done. And it was fun. But that was the point. You were getting it done. And so we look at the kingdom life. Jesus said in verse 3 one more time, And verily I say unto you, except you be converted, turn around. Conversion means you're heading one direction, you turn around and head the other direction. Unless you turn around 
and become as a little as little children, ye shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Is that pretty stern? Is that pretty clear? I don't know of a place in church or outside the church for an arrogant Christian. I don't know of a place in the kingdom life for know-it-all people calling themselves Christians or anybody who feels better than other people. It's wrong. You take little children, nursery level, and just above. They don't comment on the other person's clothing. They don't comment on what they have on or don't have on. Could care less. You just see little people, and I, I love to watch that for any, when I'm sitting and waiting for, or whatever to see little children come, and they just are excited to see each other and start toward each other, just two children. They're just glad to see another little person, and they want somebody to play with. And we lose that in the world. Oh, she got, oh, her, yeah, well, let me tell you about her, and I don't want to hear about her, folks. It's what you wear and what you drive and those things. And the Lord says, unless you become like a little child, and what is that? Humbly. Humble. His promise is in verse 5 that ye shall receive. Whosoever shall receive one of these children in my name receiveth me. What I want to get to, and we're going to move on now to a different passage, is verse 10. Take heed that ye despise not one of these little ones. If I were you, I would look. I would. I would study that sentence. If I were you, I would study what it means in the kingdom of heaven to despise the little ones. The very first of it is in our nation. They don't even get born. That's clear despising children. And then when they get born, the ones that make it through that travesty, the homes they come home to. It, uh, here's what the Lord said. Be careful that you don't do despite to a little child because they have an angel watching them. And here's what's going to happen. That angel will do their bidding. I don't think the church believed that today. I don't think the world believed these things. In heaven, their angels do always behold the face of my Father. What's that? They're not watching the child, they're watching the Father. And when he says go, there's trouble. They're hurting that boy. They're hurting that little girl. You go down there. And I want to say to you this, the world believes today it's getting away with a whole lot of things it is not getting away with. We have judges and magistrates and people in positions of authority, quote unquote, in this world today that think they can legislate despising children. And folks, I'm going to tell you this. They'll make those laws and they'll pass those laws and they'll call it all kinds of things, but they cheer when they do it. There's, they break out in cheering when they pass a law that we can harm the little ones. 
we'll tell you this, we may not see it in our day, but we'll see the answer to that. God, God is keeping notes. He's keeping records. When I was little, when you were little, do you want to know the biggest, uh, the biggest uh, reason that Janet and I speak to people in adult situations that are ugly? Can you help us sort this out? As some people call it counseling. I just listen to them. But you know what the biggest problem is? These people were treated despitefully when they were children. And they're living it out. Believe me, don't believe me. Trust me, don't trust me. I'm telling you, people that were treated despitefully when they were children, if you think they just grow up and get 18 years old and go, well, I'm going to forget all that and move on. Very few have that kind of, have that kind of understanding and strength. I remember people who worked me over when I was little. I remember them. And uh, I bowed to the Lord when I got into ministry. I'm not, I'm not here to be liked. Uh, boy, I bet you believe that. I am, I am not here to be liked by the people. Could care less, honestly. And I don't think a crowd should be here because they like me. Don't believe that's the call. Don't believe that's the reason for being here. Now, my flesh likes it better if you're kind to me and like me and say, say good things. But you know what? I'm here to do two things. Promote Christ and protect the children. I really believe that. I believe that. Do you know what's going on in the little Sunday school out there? It's so much more important. You people are set. You people are set. I can teach and preach and pray and beg and cry and say this is what the Bible says and nine out of ten adults will leave here and not get past the bottom step out there before they are not going to do it. Particularly if they take it as an emotional teaching instead of an instruction from the Word of God. It takes some kind of effort to change a 60-year-old mind, a 40-year-old mind, a 50-year-old. It takes some kind of effort. But you take these little children out there in this world that everything's brand new, and I don't know the day I heard it, I don't know who said it to me. But somebody put in that little uh, bald-haired boy, I was all teeth, no hair, ears sticking everywhere. I don't even know why they let me in the classroom looking back. But I sat there one day and heard from somebody that Jesus loves me. I believed them. I did. I don't know if they said it with such conviction I believed them. I don't know if the Holy Spirit said, Don, that's true. Boy, that's true. I want you to understand that. I don't know how it all came on me. But I don't remember a time, clearly there was, but I don't remember before that. I don't remember a time when I didn't believe that Jesus was the Christ for whatever that meant to my little mind, and I've grown in my knowledge of what that means. But somebody, somebody pulled me aside one day. I don't know if it was my mother singing to me. don't remember her. It may have been. I don't know if it's Sunday school class or my dad, uh, my family. I don't know who it was. Someone taught me and told me and made me believe that Jesus loved me. And I want to say to you very clearly, 
the hard things after that in life and the ugly things after that in life were somewhat easier because I knew the truth of that. I had that strength to lean on. Now how about these children who come home if they finally make it home and the parents are like, that's a bunch of foolishness. And they talk Jesus down. And they make fun of the Bible and make fun of Christians. Well, I'm telling you now, take heed that you despise not one of these. You see in verse 6 of this passage, Whosoever shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, You know, when I was in high school, when I was in high school, a teacher called about five of us boys aside. And uh, in that group of five boys, six boys, he called me out. And whatever he was teaching and saying and making fun of and, and doing his thing, he said, and this one here, he thinks he's a Christian. He thinks he's going to believe in those things and live that life and that's going to be helpful in some way in his lifetime. And he was mocking me. I came out of a home that taught me I could care less. <laughs> he didn't make any difference to me. I just kept thinking, I'm going to go eat something. I, was, I remember that day and I remember thinking, I'm going to go over to this over here and they had a a&W over here, and I, that was my after-school place, and I remember thinking, he's, he just kept me after school to do this for some reason. I just want to get over to the place to get something to eat. Could care less what he was saying. Didn't believe a word that he said. <coughs> but the Lord wrote it down. The Lord wrote it down. He tried to tell him that was a foolish lifestyle and influence him to give it up. All I thought was, you are a fool. I read my Bible since then. I shouldn't have thought that, but I did. I thought you're very foolish to be as old as you are and not know about Jesus Christ. That's just foolishness. Uh, teacher in the, in the sciences, science teacher, and I remember thinking, how can you be a science teacher having gone through universities and, and at least your own studies about the world and science and not believe in this Christ, the creator of all? Hebrews 11.3 For we understand by the Word of God. We understand by the Word of God. By faith we understand. Well, turn with me if you would to 2 Corinthians in chapter 10. 2 Corinthians in chapter 10. the Apostle Paul teaching. Corinth, one of the nastiest places on the planet at the time, very vulgar in its teaching and lifestyle. Corinth was rough. Corinth was as bad in this day of Paul as in any city we have today. It's just, it was vulgar. Very uh, demonic in its activity. Leadership. Governments. And Paul said, now, I, Paul, myself, I 
I beg you, I beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am base among you, but being absent and bold toward you, but I beseech you that I may not be bold when I'm present with um, that confidence wherewith I think to be bold against some which think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. But look what Paul said now. This Verse 3, as we have it recorded here. For though I, we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. When Jesus calls us to be a disciple and says we need to humble ourselves as a little child to enter the kingdom of, of heaven, how is that done? How is that done? And he says, when he winds up the passage we just read, he said, just be very careful that you do not cause a young one to stumble and be led away from these truths. <coughs> be very careful. Because his angel is looking at the father's face and the father says, go. And then, uh, you don't want to fight an angel of God. You don't want an angel over your house to cause destruction and stop you. And I believe what angels do many times from hearing people's testimonies and their lifestyle and the issues they have is this. I think angels come from God's throne and they give you something else to think about and leave the child alone. Financial problems, relationship problems, health problems, lust problems, all the workings of the flesh, something will go in your life that takes your attention from harming the child. I believe that's how it works. I've listened to so many people. I believe when the Lord sends the angel down here, protecting angel, the guardian angel of that child, whatever that means from Scripture, I think the angel comes to your house who are harming and despising these children and gives you something else to think about. I've marveled in my days working in the public. It is now 46 years that these hard-hearted, cold, nasty people who have no compassion, and I mean it's across the board. I'm, I'm not speaking out of turn, and I'm not exaggerating. These people who have no compassion for anyone else, I'm going to do what I want to do, and everybody else is in my way, blah, blah, blah. These people have a little illness come to their house, and they'll wear a pastor out. They want you to hold their hand 24-7, come cry and pray with them for 24-7. You know what? Anybody else gets that, they're like, well, you know, things happen. That's what it is. You know, you, things happen to, happen to their house and particularly to them. And now this is a tra tragedy. We don't war after the flesh. In this world, we see the things that are going on and we don't outsmart them although it's not difficult. Light always outdoes darkness. Always does. Liars and cheaters are easy, are easy to outsmart because of the very nature of their, their being. They're liars and cheaters. They're living a lie. They have to lie more the next time or stay with that lie at least. And we're telling the truth and it's just right there. And guess what? truth always comes out. It always does. 
So we don't war in this life after the flesh. Look in verse 4 now. And the fascinating thing about this verse is how powerful it is and how instructional it is, and it's parenthetical. Putting in, putting in these parentheses, a parenthet these are the statements in the Bible that are really for us to pay attention to. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And you know the interesting thing about strongholds from a pastor's point of view? Most people won't admit their, their stronghold. I don't have a problem with that. I don't, care, I don't care what it is. Most people will not admit a stronghold. And here's the answer to a stronghold. We can't get up in the morning and say, I'm not going to do that anymore and win. It's not fleshly. The battle is not the flesh. If we're a stronghold, um, I've had customers in my lifetime that I, I hated. I hated them coming in. I would look at my books on Tuesday morning, which is Monday in my business. I would look on my books on Monday, Tuesday morning, and see a Thursday afternoon client and just feel sick. And it ruined my Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday until 2. I can't tell you, and I can't use the words in the pulpit, how it felt when they left. I mean, my body felt like I had a total cleanse. A total, you get that? A total cleanse. I felt like I went through a major cleanse. White. Light-hearted, happy. And guess what? Friday morning I get up and go, Thursday's coming. Thursday's coming. I used to get up in the morning... When I was little, younger, I'd get up in the morning and do something wrong by 9 o'clock and have the threat of Dad coming home at 6, and my whole day was ruined. You remember that? Wait till your dad gets home. Oh, good, because it's almost six. It's almost 8 o'clock. What a long day. And, my, and uh, half the time, I, when he got home, he'd go, what? You don't do that no more. At half the time. And then you have that worry. Which half is it going to be when he gets home? Folks, we do not wrestle the strongholds of life in the flesh. I've got to tell you a secret. You're not, you're not that smart. You know, I, know you, I know that you're brilliant at your house. But we're seeing it from out here. And here's what I want to tell you. You're not that smart. The Bible says Satan is wily. He's wily. He's cunning. He, he's a deceiver that is... He's practiced for so many more years than you have. He's practiced being deceptive so many more years than you've been smart that we're not even a challenge for him. And it proves we're not smart to think that we are. We're not a challenge for him. All these strongholds in people's lives. And, and I'm telling you, frankly, people just really fight admitting a stronghold. And they're a stronghold because Satan has them convinced they're strong enough to fight the problem. Here it is in verse 4, very clear. Our weapons are not carnal, but mighty through God. Through God, spiritual. And here's the answer. 
That's, that's the, uh, how you do it. Here's the answer, verse 5. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. What? Casting down imaginations. I believe that your imagination is one of God's greatest gifts to you and to me. Let this mind be in you which was in Christ, the Bible says. Let this mind be in you which was in Christ. You think Christ had a good imagination? You think God... <laughs> Look at creation. You think Christ had a good imagination? And people say, well, imagination can be pretty vile. Professing themselves to be wise, they become fools. Why? Because when they knew God... Think of that. That's uh, Romans... 1 and verse 21, uh, yeah, Romans 1 and 21, and it says this, for when they knew God, now listen to the, the lead into this statement, they knew God. When they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful. And that's a statement all by itself. That is the problem. Gratitude. Do you know who doesn't humble themselves? People who are not thankful. Because that's an arrogant, proud person who believes, I can do it. I have all that it takes. I'm very wily. I'm smart. I'm gifted. I'm able. I'm strong. All those things. But when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations. So what is that saying? Your imagination is a God-given gift. We can either imagine standing before Christ and give us a reason to behave properly. We can imagine heaven in its glory and splendor. We can imagine a lot of good things. Or we can imagine vile things. Unthankful things. They became vain in their imaginations, the Bible says. Read it. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Their foolish heart was darkened. Corporate heart of vanity. Professing themselves to be wise. And I use this one a lot over in my place of business. And I know you're a kinder Christian than me. Good for you. Here's what I say professing themselves to be wise. They are professors of wisdom. You know where that is? They profess to be wise. They became fools. And the fools were, look it up, is moranos. They became morons. And folks, do you see them around us today? People professing themselves to be wise and we can tell from looking and hearing and without much examination, the morons. They don't even know. They don't understand the topic and they believe they have the full answer. The problem is they believe the answer is them. They believe the answer is them. Professing themselves to be wise. Look at us. Listen to us. We have the total, we have the total program. Morons. Casting down every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God 
and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ and having in a readiness to re, uh, revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. And so the question is, verse 7, do you look on things after the outward appearance? We're about ready to close this morning. I want to ask you a question. Do you believe the Holy Spirit and your relationship to Him and your love for Him and your understanding of Him do you believe He's given to you a spirit of discernment? I think today the church really lacks in a discerning spirit. I think in this last election cycle I've heard more undiscerning, non-discerning spirits than I've ever heard. And now this thing brought it out. That's what these events do. They bring out character. They bring out thoughts. They bring out ideas and beliefs. Do you look on things after the outward appearance? You remember Samuel went to David's house, went to Jesse's house to pick a king? God says, Samuel, my king is in Jesse's house. And the first son came out, and he was a good-looking big kid. And Samuel said, Yahoo, my job's done. And look at him. And God said, no, that's wrong. The red buzzer. And they brought the second son. Pretty good-sized kid, looks pretty good. I'm, I'm, ready, I'm ready to go home. He said, no. And the process went on. Finally, Samuel said, okay, I don't understand who you want. Who do you want? And he said no to all of them. And Samuel asked the question, do you have any more sons? Do I need to start over? I missed the one. He said, well, there is one more. I have a son out in tending the sheep. named David. He said, go get him. And he walked in the door, and God said, that's him. Probably half the size of his big brother. Yeah. Younger. Stripling, the Bible says. Ruddy in countenance, teenager probably, younger than that, young teenager maybe. Where's he been? Tending the sheep. Bring him to me. Samuel said, a prophet of God said, that big, that big good looking oldest son looks like a king to me. He looks kingly. And God got on Samuel and said, God doesn't look on the outward appearance. He looks on the heart. And later your Bible will tell you in one very bold sentence, God said, David is a man after my own heart. Do you have a heart after God? Do you? Are you, are you fighting in the flesh? Mad all the time, wondering why things aren't going your way? Or do we learn to cast down those imaginations and those high things and say this, God's in charge. I want to tell you this, I sleep better these days knowing God's in charge. It's His program. He's going to do it His way. And I believe He's doing it right now His way. And I want to say this, I believe this year, 2021, 
about the time the leaves are budding out and about the time the grass is sprouting, God's bringing revival to his church. I believe that. I believe he's going to pull back in a, a veil of ugliness and expose darkness. And the world's going to see who he is. And the church is going to learn one more time, first time in this generation, the fear of the Lord. I believe it. I believe that. About the time, about the time that everything turns green, the water melts, the ice melts. I think the Lord's going to come with a breath of spring. And it's going to be revival. Here's the problem, verse 12, and we're done. For we dare not make ourselves of the number, of that number, the number, or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. Are you better than me? I bet you are. Can you do things better than I can? I bet you can. You, are you better looking than me? That's not hard. God gave you some gifts and you do those things better than I can do them. My issue is not to be good as you or, eat or stand in judgment of you but to do what I've been called to do by the Lord. To exercise the gifts He gave me and the power of His Spirit to do His work. And that's your job. Same job. Some people can sing. The Lord told me no. <laughs> Here's the terrible thing of my life. I can hear with perfect pitch. I can hear you can't sing too, but I can't do any better. So I just have to listen and go, ooh. Yeah. The only problem is the people that think they can. <laughs> and they do that to my ears. Verse 18, and we're done. For not he that commendeth himself is approved, but whom the Lord commendeth. Believe it? Isn't that good? Isn't that good? That's our hour. We're going to look in the next hour at chapters 9 and 10 of the book of Mark.